Hello everyone, this is Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, and I am your host, Alex Painter. Thank you for electing to join me here for this episode. This is our 17th in the chronology of the University of Notre Dame, its football team, and its fascinating history and people. Speaking of history, we just wrapped up a three-part mini-series about Notre Dame and the Civil War. Please go back and listen to those. I'm very proud of them. And uh, the first one was called The Student Turned Soldier, about the exploits of Frank Baldwin, who was a Notre Dame, well, Elkhart native, actually, who was a Notre Dame first year before he dropped out of the university and joined the Union Army. We kind of followed his exploits throughout the war. The second episode, which has proven to be the most popular of the three, was called The Priest. That was about Father William Corby, who was a Notre Dame priest, future Notre Dame president. But what we really talked about in the episode was his involvement as the chaplain of the famed Union Army's Irish Brigade. Of course, very famous for their involvement, particularly in the Battle of Gettysburg. And Father Corby, who raised his hand in absolution to the men and boys of the brigade before they went into battle. So that was episode two. Episode three was called The General. In episode three, we looked at... William Tecumseh Sherman, who was a Union general, and kind of his very intimate and familial connections to the University of Notre Dame and actually St. Mary's as well. So please go back and listen to those three. They are, well, I think extremely binge-worthy, but I think that they're really interesting and it kind of gives Notre Dame, kind of gives a new perspective of the university. And speaking of those three, I'm really proud to say that within the miniseries, we had folks from 33 states and 11 countries tune in. Uh, aside from the fact that it's just marvelous to, to kind of expand the listening audience, I think it's just the modern marvel of the internet in 2020 where such a kind of humble and simple podcast about Notre Dame football can have such far reaches. So thank you all for listening. Sincerely, I really appreciate it and I hope you enjoyed it. So this is episode 17. So as keeping with show tradition, we assign the episode number to a football player in Notre Dame's history who actually wore that number. And so I think episode 17 has to easily belong to friend of the show, Hunter Smith, who actually autographed a number of show postcards that have been kind of sent out as prizes to Consensus All-Americans, who we'll talk about here in just a minute. Punted for Lou Holtz back in the 90s and then had a pretty prolific NFL career, including punting for the Super Bowl champion Indianapolis Colts back in the 2006-07 season. So this one it could have been, I guess, the Zeke Mata episode, who was a safety for Notre Dame in the 2000s. But again, but given how much I like to think that Hunter is, in fact, a friend of the show, this one will be the Hunter Smith episode. So episode 17 couple other things if you dig the show you can find it on apple Podcasts. so the purple podcast icon if you have an iphone please subscribe you'll get alerted to all the new episodes i am also on spotify as well as podbean at onward to victory.podbean.com so please again like subscribe do what you got to do to make sure you're getting all the new episodes you can interact with the show on the facebook page at facebook.com slash onward to victory or you can send the show an email at onward to victory podcast at gmail.com so if you'd like to name yourself to the 
Onward to Victory Consensus All-American list. I say that's a... Folks, you kind of keep the lights on around here because this show does cost money to put on and distribute. But you can become a Consensus All-American very simply. A $10 donation to the show will sponsor an episode and get your name called as a Consensus All-American on Over the Air. So you can donate at paypal.me slash Onward to Victory for a one-time donation or if you want to donate a certain amount per month, please visit patreon.com slash Onward to Victory podcast. As you hopefully know, any support is greatly, greatly appreciated, which can also include liking, listening, sharing, and corresponding with the show, which, as you know, is always free. So as far as Consensus All-Americans are concerned, we have some really exciting news on this front. A fourth Consensus All-American has stepped forward as a donor to the show. And so I'd like to make sure that he is adequately thanked here. So Brad G. of Williamsburg, Indiana. Williamsburg actually isn't too terribly far from where the show is recorded in Richmond, Indiana. But Brad has stepped forward as our fourth Consensus All-American, which in keeping again with show tradition, I assign whoever decides to donate to the show, an actual All-American in Notre Dame's history. So the fourth Consensus All-American in Notre Dame's history was Elmer Layden, who was, of course, a member of the famed Four Horsemen. I'm sure you've probably heard of them. So Brad G. is our Elmer Layden of the show, so I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear that. But we were able to connect on a number of things, mostly about Notre Dame, but one of our mutual Facebook friends is Jim Augustine. So we were able to kind of talk about Jim Augustine's, of course, the owner of Augie's Locker Room up in South Bend, which is a Notre Dame apparel store. I guess that's the best way to brand it, but it's kind of a gift shop. Uh, not affiliated with the school really in any which way, but it is the one place that you can walk into. The the collection that he has, again, everything's for sale. It is a store, is just astonishing. It is a really neat opportunity for us fans to walk in and walk out with a literal piece of Notre Dame history. So we're able to connect on how much we do admire Augie and, of course, his establishment. So, but what's really cool, just coincidentally, is that this first episode here that Brad is kind enough to have sponsored actually was mostly recorded at Augie's locker room. Been kind of teasing over the past couple episodes that I had been attempting to secure some time with Jeff Harrell, who is the author of the upcoming groundbreaking new biography on Coach Canute. Rockney. It's called The Rockney of Ages, and it's going to be coming out here in the next couple weeks. But the reason why it's kind of pertinent to this show is because back in November, I did an episode about the true crime episode. Some of you probably remember it, but it was Onward to Victory Does True Crime. And we were talking about Rockney's plane crash and how some have really have strong reasons to believe that it might have been a mob hit, that a bomb might have been planted in the plane that was actually intended for somebody else. But Rockney switched seats with a Notre Dame priest who was a witness to a murder in Chicago and was testifying against a mobster who happened to be affiliated with the Capone mob. And so it is like an, an incredibly interesting story, and Jeff is the absolute expert on the subject matter. So I wanted to sit down and have a chat with him about that. But he'll tell you a little bit more eloquently here soon in our in our conversation. But what I will say is, is that his book is not only focuses in on the mob bomb theory and gives credence to that, but it also, as he says, 
is a bi biography about Coach Rockney in Rockney's words. So mostly delving into the primary sources, mostly Rockney's view and vision and, and creating a biography kind of inspired, not only say inspired by Rockney, because of course all Rockney biographies are inspired by Rockney, but this is the one that's shaped distinctly by Rockney and by his actual thoughts and by the things he said. And so it's going to be absolutely marvelous. I am certain of this. And Jeff was kind enough to sit down with me for quite a, an extended amount of time. And we just kind of talked. And something that I think he would agree to is that it kind of started as an interview. We were sitting in Augie's locker room, which again, I will say is the absolute best place to have any conversation regarding Notre Dame football or Notre Dame lore. And so it was interesting. We were both kind of talking into the microphone at the very beginning, like it was kind of a formal, dutiful interview. But by the time, you know, the 25, 30 minutes was over, we had kind of gained a bit of camaraderie and gained a bit of rapport and it wasn't even like the microphone was there. It was more conversational, which I thought was really fun and really interesting. But to enjoy this episode, I don't think you necessarily have to have listened to the true crime episode, just in case anyone hasn't. If you'd like to, pause it right here. Go back and listen to it, and then you'll probably enjoy the conversation between Jeff and I a little bit more, but I don't think it's a prerequisite, so feel free to just keep on listening. But two reasons, two reasons why I think this biography is going to be fantastic as, well, actually, let me back that up. Let me say three reasons. So first of all, when it comes to crime reporting, which is kind of what this is in a sense, it's crime reporting, reporting on a crime that had happened in, in at least by Jeff's estimation, about the plane crash and about the mob bomb theory. There are a few more suited to do that than Jeff. So Jeff was on the New York, New Jersey crime reporting beat for a number of years, including winning the columnist of the year in 2001. But he covered, uh, I believe he said multiple, John Jr. Gotti trials. So when it comes to sifting through evidence and, and looking at documents, pictures, and kind of making, making a puzzle, like you know, putting together the puzzle surrounding kind of these nefarious events, I think Jeff is among the best people you know, as far as being equipped to do that. So this is very much Jeff in his own element when he's looking at the plane crash. So that's only one part of the book as he explains here soon. The second part is again, Rockney on Rockney and his vision and his take on leadership and values he, he held and what values he wanted his players to espouse and competition. And so Jeff, I think is also very well suited to write about this because as he told me off mic, Jeff, he was a two-time All-State baseball player, and he actually played Division I baseball at Ball State University in Muncie. So he understands you know, what it's like to be a competitor and to compete at a very, very high level within a sport. And the third reason is that, uh, not to steal my own thunder, but at the very end of this conversation, it became abundantly clear to me. I said, so Jeff, is this a forget what you know about Rockney kind of, or forget what you thought you knew about Rockney kind of book? And without hesitation, he said, absolutely. And anytime that there is that much new perspective on a person that is, feels like, gosh, you know, it feels like, you know, the well has been kind of tapped pretty hard for Coach Rockney. So anytime that there is new information, new perspective, I think it automatically should get your attention. It certainly got my attention. So uh, those are three reasons why I think this conversation is really interesting and you know, it's just cool to be able to meet Jeff and talk with Jeff. He is a really cool guy. You're going to get that sense. And, 
you know, certainly, uh, certainly an awesome person to have a conversation with, has a lot of wisdom, and frankly, is one of my buddies now. So, without further ado, let's jump right into this conversation with Jeff Harrell, author of Rockney of Ages, the upcoming biography on Knut Rockney, right after this. All right, thanks for hanging in. We are here at Augie's Locker Room. Very proud to be doing this interview from one of my favorite spots, not only in South Bend, but possibly in the United States. And I'm here with Jeff Harrell, as promised, author of the upcoming book, Rockney of Ages, the most recent biography on Coach Rockney. We're all really excited for it. We've talked about it a number of times on this show. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing good. Doing yeah. good. A little cold, but uh, it's February at South Bend. It's, it's, it's all good. That's right. Well, <laughs> thank you for taking some time to, to sit with the show That's today right. and sit with me. So tell us a little bit about this book, uh, Rockney of Ages. As I mentioned, we've discussed it a couple times on the show here, and we're uh, really anticipating its release. So give us some give us some details. What, what was the origin of this project? Well, it's actually three books in one. <laughs> which is kind of uh, not how it started, but it's, it kind of grew into three books at one. Um, I met my partner, John Davenport. Well, I knew my partner, John Davenport, for a long time, but uh, went in about two years ago, and he told me that uh, he was doing a coffee table book. He had spent 15 years compiling all these stories on Ro of, of Rockney in his own words, and he basically had Rockney's life in his own words, which instead of a biography, it kind of makes it a posthumous autobiography. So what he, and he had also collected all of these photographs, these rare historical photographs from, from, from the time period. And um, anyway, he asked me to finish it. Oh, wow. So I said, great. I wasn't doing anything else. And I was, uh, you know, I, I was fresh out of the Tribune and, um, I'm also a musician, and I had just uh, recorded my first record and my first solo record, and uh, was working on that with my people out in New York and all that. And I needed uh, this project kind of fell in my lap, so I, I took all of his stuff and um, put an outline together, edited it. You know, we had Rockney's life in his own words from the boy, the the player, the coach. You know, we got him as the advocate, and uh, then we talk. He talks about. You know, some of the legends that he coached, George Gipp, the Four Horsemen and all that. But a funny thing happened uh, one afternoon when I was right here in Augie's. And um, he showed me this newspaper headline that said, you know, mob planted bomb and plane that killed Rockney. And it was from the South Bend News Times in um, 1933, I think, two years after the actual crash. And um, I had always kind of heard bits and pieces about it, and I've been a you know being from Indianapolis, I knew Rock, you know I knew of Rockney, of course, but I'd never really investigated anything like you know I'd never done that, and um, so anyway, I went back to John, and I said I think we have our storyline, and I said this is what you get, John, when you come when you give a coffee table book on Newt Rockney to a former investigative journalist in New York City <laughs> right. who, who covered police and crime. So that's it. Well, the listening audience, and of course myself, were very familiar with the piece that you wrote uh, in, that was featured in Notre Dame Magazine mm -hmm. here in the spring of 2019. Yeah. I've said it a couple times into this very mic. I think that was uh, so 
back in November, I did a true crime episode for the people here and talked about all the angles to the death of Coach Rockney and kind of alluded and, and kind of cited your work a, a number of times. And so again, I just want to say it was extremely eloquent. It was amazing to read. And it was like the most, you know, you get you get these bits and pieces of the story, but it was the most streamlined I had seen it. And my, my mind was just completely like, oh, my, my mind was a little bit blown to be, to be frank. But what is it that most surprises you about this particular corner of Rockney's life in the sense that the, the, the mob is involved, a paper that eventually folds is involved and people then kind of write off a lot of what was written as merely yellow journalism. Mm -hmm. What do you think, what really kind of fuels you in, in looking at this a little bit more critically when there are a lot of people who just kind of dismiss it possibly? I think, well, we touch on it in the book, at the time, the Department of Commerce was handling all the uh, all plane crash investigations, and it was during the time of well, the 20s was basically the infancy of commercial aviation, and the press at the time was trying to get the Department of Commerce to try to, to make these aviation the, the, these accident investigations public mm -hmm. because the, the the aeronautics branch was keeping them all under wraps. And uh, you know there were there was still a lot of plane testing going on by the military, and this plane, the Fokker F-10 plane in particular, was under what was under scrutiny by the by the military at the time. Um, I think what happened was because of that. I th when the Rockney crash hit, there have been a lot of plane crashes that went. I mean, we're talking the 20s, the late right. 20s. A lot of plane crashes at the time that. Um, were kind of growing pains for the aviation industry. They did not get reported, and any ones that were investigated was sealed and confidential, and the Department of Commerce was also trying to f kind of feel its way as far as investigations of plane crashes. When the Rockney crash hit, Newt Rockney was the most one of the most beloved figures in the country, you know, maybe even the world, and the public demanded to know what caused that plane to crash. Absolutely. Well, the first day reports, the first day reports were that two witnesses, one uh, particular Edward Baker, who who was a teenager and he was working on his father, his father's farm or his father's ranch is where the plane crashed. Mm -hmm. that his father's property was, the, was where the crash actually happened. And the first day reports were that he heard an explosion in the sky and he saw the plane falling and falling to the ground. Well, those were all first day reports, and the book has several newspaper headlines. The first day, March 31st, that afternoon, let's say, plane exploded, plane explodes, Rockney Cash killed in plane explosion, whatever, and they say, we heard an explosion, the plane fought. The next day, the second day reports were all, well, we heard a little sputtering in the sky, and now, my, for what struck me when I found that out, what struck me first was my own experience covering federal courts and, and the feds in New York City. And I remember doing one story, and I had a, a, an FBI media guy who was a source of mine. And I, and I went to him with some question, and he said, we deny it. You know, we deny it. I go, you know what? I said, I could come with you, and I could say the sky is blue. And you would either disagree with me vehemently and say, no, we, 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 you'll either tell me the sky is gray, or you'll tell me there is no sky. <laughs> and he said, Jeff, welcome to the Federal Bureau of Investigation newspaper. So we deny everything. Oh, my. So you've got that. So I think 
the Department of Commerce put the clamps, knowing they had to do this, they had to make this report public. I think they put the clamps right away on the explosion aspect. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until two years later that the story came out in the South Bend New Times that said there was a bomb that there was a bomb planted on that plane. They even had the name of the guy who planted it, but they didn't release the name. Mm -hmm. But and, and that was reported in the Santa Ana, California paper. That's right. But the bomb. But they said the bomb um, had been planted in retaliation for a priest who had given who had testified against the killer of Jake Lingle. Yeah, Father John. Yeah, Reynolds. who was a hitman yeah. for Capone. That's right. And it was Father Reynolds, and um, and that the next day after he got off the witness stand. Um, I found out later that Father Reynolds actually gave his ticket to Rockney, and we actually have it on the manifest that it was a late change manifest from. They didn't have the name of the person that changed from, but it was a. But Rockney's name was added to that manifest like a day before the plane went out. And he was going out to do some. He was going uh, out to do a movie. Exactly, yeah. do some con consultation work on the spirit of Notre Dame. And Father Reynolds couldn't go because he was still the trial was still going on. That's right. And he had to, st even though he had gone off the witness stand, he had stayed, he had to stay accessible in case they called him back. Right. So besides, uh, he had to be in class the next week, and Rockney was just getting done with spring football season, and uh, and Rockney had to go to California that week to sign that agreement because they were beginning production of that movie. That's right. So. And Something that I read that I wanted to confirm with you, since you are the kind of the expert, not to not to go into like the morbid or the morose here, but is it true that coach, former Irish coach Jesse Harper, is the one who came out and identified Rockney's? Jess Harper was living in Kansas on a ranch. Right. He was the closest one that they could find who could be who could be accessible. See, here's an and here's another aspect of that crash. Um, the crash happened around 10:45 in the morning. Mm -hmm. It took. I mean, you're talking, you know, and it happened out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And I mean, today it's hard to get to, you know, with all the transportation modes we have. Back then, all you had was like, you know, a small maybe airplane and or trucks and cars. Well, the first people that showed up there were locals. Mm -hmm. They absconded with seventy percent of the plane, and they were back selling them as souvenirs. That's right. And but it took the investigators six hours. To get to the, well, they, they didn't get to the crash site till like almost six o'clock that night. That is remarkable. Yeah, and now Jess Harper, when it would, it had already been leaked out that Rockney was that Rockney was one of the bodies because they had him on the manifest of the plane that went down, and they already had that one traced. When they when they finally they said yeah Rockney's on here, then they brought it. The, Jess, they found out Jess Harper had a farm about, it was about an hour away. And so Jess Harper came to Cottonwood Falls and actually identified the body. I think yeah. that is just like, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is so, like, there are just so many parts of it that are just so incredibly interesting and profound and thought-provoking. Yeah. But that is, like, yeah. so coincidental. Yeah, the Coach Rockney followed. Is the yes. Body. And yeah. the relationship they kind of had. Yeah. And, of course, Rock was uh, the assistant under Harper. Well, and and Harper was his coach in 1913 oh, that's with, right. with Gusto Ray. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's just sometimes when you look back at history, and this is something that I always say a lot on this show, it's sometimes it's mind boggling and it's so coincidental that sometimes you're like, this almost couldn't have been accidental. This, I'm just in, in general, there are just some of the coincidences are so strong. Uh, again, book's called Rockney of Ages. So, update on the book. When, when's it coming? 
we are planning a release before the anniversary, which will be in a couple weeks. Awesome. I'm talking to the printer next week, actually. And uh, we're, fi- we're, we're in the final stages of design and layout. We, we want the book, we want to time it with the March 31st anniversary. Of course. And then, of course, we'll have the Blue Gold game to work with, too, you know. And um, we, we want to get it out. You know, we, we want to get it into circulation. And then there may even be a special edition, plan, an expanded version planned for the football season. Oh, too. Sign, so, sign me up, Jeff. Seriously. Oh, I, I, you're already signed <laughs> up. Oh, I was going to say. I appreciate this. No, sincerely. Any updates, go to NewtRockney.com. Well, and that's what we were talking yeah, about in a previous we, episode. If you're ever curious who owns that domain. We do. I was going to say, I am like actually, yeah, I'm honored to be sitting with the domain. <laughs> <laughs> the person who owns that domain. Because it's like we're, so we were talking about a couple shows ago. Uh, we just finished up a Notre Dame in the Civil War uh, miniseries, three-part, where we were talking about just like... Notre Dame's involvement with the American Civil War and mm-hmm. some of that is just uh, some of it's just really really interesting but I did say if you're curious who owns the particular domain name uh, go there visit there because that's where you're going to get information about the book and the project and, and all of that you know the, the the most the one thing that I've taken out of this is that and Augie has mentioned this to me a couple of times you know I could sit here and talk about now of course we're talking about Rockney here and the, because we're you know it's Rockney of Ages and he's the primary focus but I could talk about this book and the hit on Jake Lingle and the mob aspects surrounding the with Father Reynolds Mm -hmm. and number one I could talk about this book for about 15-20 minutes without once mentioning New Rocky's name and number two the main character that's going to come out and surprise a lot of people that we are going to resurrect is Father John Reynolds yeah what a character not to cut in Jeff but that is one thing so we are riding the same wavelength here because in episode 10, our true crime episode, I said you could take Coach Rockney completely out of this equation. And this is an extremely compelling story when you look at just the confluence of events that surrounded Jake Lingle, of course, Al Capone's mob, Father John Reynolds. And then, of course, was it in the mid-80s that Father Reynolds gave a lot of his testimony, or the early 80s? January 1986. Okay. Three weeks away from from passing on. Wow. And he gave an interview. And I spoke with the interviewer, a gentleman named Ron Carton. That's right. Okay. And uh, I've, I've talked to him, and I also spoke at length with Father Richard Layton from the Our Lady of Guadalupe Trappist Abbey out in, uh, I believe it's Lafayette, Oregon, where Father Reynolds spent the last... 25 years of his life. Right, became, Father Layton knew him very well. Became a Trappist monk. He was a Trappist monk. Changed think, his name to Father Simon. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. The reason why our, our Lady of Guadalupe took him in in 1962, I believe, was because he had founded this monastery in Utah that he had been running on his own. And uh, then they brought some other people in. They kicked him out of his own monastery because he punched out one of the priests. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, he was... He was Father Reynolds, I mean, if, if ever like a, a, a tough kid from Bellows Falls, Vermont, ever like <laughs> would have turned into a gangster with a, with a white collar on, that's Father Reynolds. Oh, my gosh. And so... He used to hang out in Chicago. That's I mean, amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Father Reynolds, man, he's, he's my new hero. I, I, I get it. Yeah, we're, he's really going to be a character that people are going to be talking about after this book comes out. Oh, to breathe life into that story. Like like we were saying, I mean, completely independent of Coach Rockney's involvement, just to breathe life into that story. To me, again, not to harp back to the episode, but that is kind of, I guess, why we're here. But to, back to episode 10, 
you know, 80% of it was just the lead up. And, you know, Jake, Jake Lingle kind of being a bit of a, a bit of a rascal in his own right. And, and then of course, again, just the interesting confluence of all the people, all the events and anywho, of course, the Trappist monks are known for their oath of silence, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which again, I always thought was really interesting that Father John Reynolds became a Trappist. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the deal. Jake Lingle whispered his dying words into, into um, Father, Re Father Reynolds' ear. Mm -hmm. And Father Reynolds talked about that story, talked about his involvement, how he felt guilty that he had given Rockney his ticket and all that. I mean, he lived with that for years. He never once breathed one word of what Jake Lingle told him. That's right. I remember the uh, that was the account that. So uh, there was the oath of his oath of silence right there that in, in a last confession. But you know, here's another thing we're doing with this book too. We're letting Canute Rockney, the proper pronunciation, right? We're letting Coach Rockney tell his own story in his own words. There's been so many writers, and the, the, uh, there's been countless writers that have written about him, mm -hmm. and it's all been, with the exception of a couple that have taken different spins, uh, Murray Sperber being one of them, who did a wonderful book. Um, oh, the uh, back the, in the '90s. Yeah, right? uh, that's yeah, that's um, one we use a lot for the show. Yeah, we're you know a lot of them. It's the same old, same old win one for the Dipper story. You yeah, know? and um, what we're letting Coach Rockney tell his own life. Mm -hmm. We're giving him, we're giving the mic back to him. So in doing that, in giving the mic back to Coach Rockney, 89 years after he's passed, mm -hmm. talked about the plane and all that. But aside from that, giving the mic back to Rockney, what do you think is the most interesting thing about Coach Rockney, in his own words, without without spoiling, you know, Jeff, any you know, too much here? The most I think the most interesting thing about him was his vision, as far as what I saw, and what I what I pieced together on it was just his vision for always looking ahead. Like he was always, even when he was coaching, now he didn't call plays. He let his quarterback call the plays, mm. but he taught his men how to play how to play the game of football when they were on the field and how to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. He was such a brilliant mind. I mean, he was a chemistry professor. That's he right. was a, you know, he was a medical. He would have gone to medical school if they had let him. You know, coach football on the side yeah. at St. Louis. Wow. You know, that was where he first wanted to go. And uh, but I think the most, if you want one specific thing, I, one specific thing that Newt Rogney did, I think that I that really blew me out was he actually changed the shape of the football to today's football. He streamlined. The football, the way it was, he took it from like a rounded, almost like a medicine ball, yeah, you know, thing. Put the laces on it, and put an air valve in it to where you could monitor the monitor the air pressure in the ball, and then streamline it to make it more comfortable for the for the quarterback to pass. You're kidding me? No, I did not and, know and that. And then he saw, and then he sold that ball through Wilson Sporting Goods, which he and he had a line of sporting good products that he sold, and that ball was one of them. Okay. So, so Newt Rockney, Newt Rockney, along with several others, Walter Camp, Amos Alonzo Stagg, I mean, shaped the game of football. Yeah. But it was Rockney who actually shaped the ball. The actual football, which uh, mark another one up for for Coach Rockney, then, because yeah. of course he yeah. he really uh, revolutionized <laughs> the uh, the forward pass, mm -hmm. and so he would have been throwing the medicine ball, you know, to uh, or Gus Dre, I guess, would have been throwing him the medicine right, ball. Right. Right. <laughs> That's right. right. That is really interesting, and I had I had not 
I have yep. not heard that. So again, the book is called Rockney of Ages. And so it's going to be coming out in the next month or so. Within within the next month. Yeah. Within the next month. It, it'll be here before the anniversary of March 30th. NewtRockney.com. NewtRockney.com. Rockney of Ages. And again, be on the lookout for it. You're going to hear about it on this show. I'll be sure to give a, a bit of a review myself. But anyway, so kind of up against it. Anything anything else you'd like to, to share with the listening audience? I just, uh, I'm just excited for this book to come out because we, we our, our mission is to resurrect the spirit of this man. Yeah. You know, and uh, and also I'm, I'm going to bring Father Reynolds back out with him, you know. But, I mean, I'm almost as excited about Father Reynolds as I am, you know, bringing back Newt Rockney. But I think Coach Rockney is one of those guys that's just kind of treated as a relic right now. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, especially football coaches, I think football coaches, this will be a must-read for football coaches the section on Rockney where he talks about not only the game itself, but he talks about the psychology behind the game, down even a breakdown of his approach to each game of the season, the way, the way they're placed. Like the first game is how he's approached. Mm-hmm. Now he approaches the second game. By the third game, they've already had this behind him, and he's, and he's, he's got this mindset. Coaches, you know, there's a psychology and a pedagogy section in there too where where he's talking just about your frame of mind as a football coach and how you how you handle each end of not a, a team of players but how you handle each individual by his own strengths you know and weaknesses and also how you hold as he calls them the stakeholders the members of the community the trustees right. the fans the you know and all that and so this is a must-read for football coaches. I kind of bring them back to the foundation of the coach and because a lot of what Rockney founded and created for the game of football is still being is still the foundation of what these where these other coaches are using it today in their own exclusive. And it's in his own words. And it's in, in his own words. So would you go would you be as bold as to say, forget what you thought you knew about Coach Rockney? Yes. That's great. Oh, absolutely, because the, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of mainstream stuff out there about him, but a lot of it, this book is going to bring out this book is going to bring out his take on it. his take, not somebody else's take on him, but Rockney's take. Absolutely, on it. you know, and and that's why and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to resurrect his voice, his. You know, let him tell you. I mean, you know, a writer that was born 20 years after he died doesn't know anything more than what he's reading from somebody else. Right. You know? No, we're, I, I, we want the, we want him to remind people of what he was saying. And be someone, yeah. yeah, and being someone who reads a fair amount about Rockney, if I'm being honest, yeah. I think that is something that is missing in a lot of the narrative is, you know, you get the can. I, I think I feel like I've read the same Rockney quotes over and mm-hmm. over and over again. So that is one reason why I am personally excited about Rockney of Ages, and you all should be too. Uh, that actually wraps us up. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Alex. Hey, yeah, I appreciate it. It's very My nice pleasure. to meet yeah, you. Nice to meet you too. And uh, Mr. Jim Augustine, thank you for letting us use Augie's locker room <laughs> for our venue. Couldn't have thought of a better place to, to hold this conversation. But So thank you again, and we will be right back.
right, well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation I was able to have with Jeff Harrell, who again is the author of the upcoming Knut Rockne biography titled Rockne of Ages. That's supposed to be coming out here very soon, so please be on the lookout on the Facebook page. I will be pushing it myself. I, will, I am just chomping at the bit to obtain a copy and read it, and I'll be sure to give a review of the book as well. And kind of tell, as I mentioned, that Jeff and I were kind of developing a quick rapport and quick camaraderie over the, uh, over the air there, and I think that was, it was just a great conversation to have. And something that I found was really interesting was, I didn't really know, I mean, I knew about the project because of Jeff's name, and I'm familiar with Jeff's work leading up to this as far as his uh, writing on the mob bomb theory, but I kind of anticipated it to, that we would spend a lot of time on that, and as you can kind of see, or most of the time, if not all the time on it, but as you can kind of see that, you know, the book has multiple focuses. So this theory is just one part of it. So I'm really excited to hear uh, everything else because as I mentioned before, this the conversation, as Jeff mentioned during the conversation, this is a forget what you thought you knew about Rockne kind of book. And again, for someone who has just been written about so exhaustively as Rockne to have such new fresh perspective on Rockne from Rockne's own words is uh, it's just really exciting to to me so um, i hope you enjoyed that uh if you like kind of the more interview based episodes then please let this let me know let the show know i try to mostly do story based episodes so this is we've done 17 episodes i've done 17 episodes and only two well, three, if you count my uh, my six-year-old chiming in on one of the episodes once. But other than that, I've kind of done all the episodes myself. So if you'd like to hear other voices, please let the show know. I will try my very best to continue to adapt to what people tend to like. But if you are like more, all right, I just like the stories. The ones that, you know, actually, if you like the stories, let me rephrase this. If you like the stories, but you like the ones that are maybe a little less lesser told or do you like stories that have been told but you like a different spin on them let me know sincerely and so speaking of stories that have less have been told uh, i suppose lesser so to speak how about this one i was just up there uh in south bend and i was in the bookstore and guess what they're selling t-shirts for this season with guess whose picture clash more mike and if you haven't listened to the story of clash more mike episode it's a good one it's a good one if i do say so myself and so Clashmore Mike, of course, was the official mascot of Notre Dame for like almost 40 years and predated the Leprechaun, uh, very interestingly. And actually, the Clashmore Mike was only retired during the 1966 season, so for decades before that, he was the on-field mascot, a little Irish terrier dog. And so Clashmore Mike is actually one of the new t-shirts. Actually, they have several designs up there. So if you're up there, look at the. They're really cool. And I... Maybe when they go down a little bit in price, I'll be honest, I'll get a Clash More Mike shirt. So, anywho, so please be on the lookout for new episodes. Please subscribe and uh, whatever, whatever, however you listen to your podcasts, please subscribe or like or follow or whatever it is. That way you're alerted to all the new episodes. And again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you again to Brad G of Williamsburg, Indiana for sponsoring this episode. Couldn't do it without you. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. So I think that'll about do us for today. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, wrapping up episode number 17, the Hunter Smith episode. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish. Irish.